Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. We're here today talking about the November 5th concert, Maestro Couturio and Elizabeth Atkins and Susan Dubois with us. Thank you folks for being here. And of course, Maestro, it's, it's always great to spend time chatting with you. It's good to be here with you too, Ross. And it's really a pleasure for me to be off stage with some of my musicians. We're always on the stage together, but to be off stage and get to talk a little bit is, is fun for me personally. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to start talking a little bit about the piece that our concertmaster, Elizabeth Atkins, and our principal violist, Susan Dubois, are soloing with, and that's the Mozart Symphonia Concertante. And I was going to start by asking you, well, how many times have you played this piece before? Do you even know? I've only done it a couple of other times uh, with two other violists. So once as a young person and once kind of in the middle of my career. And Susan, I know you've played it before. Yeah, it's about probably a couple other times as well. Yeah. yeah. And what's, for you, what's special about it? Why, why do you enjoy playing this piece? I love the piece. Uh, it's beautiful to start with, and it has some of Mozart's most exquisite writing, um, particularly uh, places where in a house, for example, a, a foyer or a hall to somewhere else, most people wouldn't pay a lot of attention to. But these kinds of transitions, Mozart pays beautiful attention to in this piece. Mm -hmm. And they're some of the loveliest moments um, are just transitions from one place to another. And uh, so the, the beauty kind of leaps out at you. You know, and Mozart, of course, was a wonderful violinist, could play violin. Yeah. But he loved yeah. the viola. He, yes, loved he really loved the viola. And, and I think the more he wrote, he didn't live a long time, but the more he wrote, you could hear certain harmonies and certain usage of the viola come out more as he got, for his age, older. Well, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I love the work because of the characters. I mean, the, the slow movement, the sorrowful, I think he wrote it after his mother's death. Mm -hmm. um, and just this, this longing, um, sorrowful melodies and then the third movement is just full of dance and joy and you know um, but he did love the viola and I think that's um, especially demonstrated in the Divisi uh, writing that he did it's one of the first works um, where you have uh, uh, more, than mo more than one part viola. for the viola yeah. section exactly so the viola section in the orchestra is divided viola one and viola two and it's intentionally so that he can bring out uh, some beautiful harmonies and um yeah and I, I think that helps the solo viola too in, in a way mm -hmm. so uh, mm -hmm. more of that range with uh, yeah. of the same instrument well but he also every, everybody talks about the score to tura tuning for this um mozart loved the viola so much and he wanted to put it on the same level with violin and so it was originally written what's called scordatura tuning. And so the viola typically is, uh, the strings are C, G, D, A, but he wrote it where violists are supposed to tune their instrument up a half a step um, to add a little tension and a brightness to it. And then he wrote the viola part in D major. So between the semitone up and the reading D major, um, it is supposed to give a, a different 
timbre different quality. I must admit, I am not doing the sport tour <laughs> well, tuning. And some, some people do and some people don't some these people days. Some people do and some people don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, that was, it was one way to show his love of the viola, is to just boost it up a little bit so that we were a little bit more in brightness of tone, similar to the violin. Do you think people don't these days because the quality of playing has changed or and the, or the instrument itself or what for i'll be very honest for me um i have perfect pitch yeah. and so when <laughs> i when i read a note and i put a finger down where i think that note what it should sound like and then it sounds different um that that's an extra challenge that yes. perhaps I don't need right now. Well, you should be glad you picked the string instrument because wind uh, you know, instruments have to do that all the time. You know, I know, and I know bass players. I tell uh, colleagues all the time, how do bass players do solo tuning and change their tuning all yes. the time there, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's, um, yeah. But back to this piece, you've played it with, what is it like or what is it going to be like, you think? to play with your colleagues that you normally sit beside, and this time you're going to be standing up in front of the orchestra playing. Do you, is there any differences in how you, how you play? Well, I'm enjoying the opportunity to play solo right next to and with Susan um, because I have always admired her playing across the orchestra oh. and by reputation, but we haven't gotten as much chance to play chamber music or a piece like this mm -hmm. as uh, I would like. So uh, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to get to know each other better musically. And I, I think that uh, helps strengthen the orchestra as well, which is one of the advantages of having soloists from within the orchestra on occasion yes. uh, to both for the, the public and, and the followers of the Richardson Symphony to know the individual quality of the players that make up the orchestra, but also for all of us to, to get a better idea of the abilities that our colleagues have. And all of our musicians are very professional. Whoever the soloist is, they're going to do their very best to, to accompany but there is something I think special when they see one of their own up there, and and they, not that they try harder, but they it's just just a different I, feel. I think. I think they'll hoot and holler. I yeah, yeah I, I think it is a different feel. I remember when Elizabeth did uh, the Beethoven. Yes. And you know, there's a camaraderie, and you really want to do your best to support your colleagues. But um, it's going to be fun yeah. either way. You yeah. know. Um. Both of our soloists, you know, are, are women, and we have two other works that are by women. Anna Klein Pivot. We're going to give you guys a break, uh -huh. right, before you, uh, so you don't so have to. Anna Klein Pivot starts. The Anna Klein Pivot begins the uh, yeah, <laughs> begins the piece, and then Pivot to Mozart, and then the second half begins with uh, Florence Price's Andante Moderato, mm -hmm. and it's for strings only, and it's actually taken from. A quartet that she wrote, but I just thought it was important—not uh, that the, the both soloists are women, but that we promote women composers in general. Uh, I think it has not obviously has not happened for many many years, and I think many orchestras are starting just to show the the importance of this. I just wanted, as women, I wanted your thoughts. The the Florence Price is a beauty. It really is a, a lovely, lovely piece, and uh, I think that it will open lots of eyes to to her abilities and the abilities of women composers in general. 
and the Anna Klein, uh, I enjoyed looking at it. I'm not going to be performing on that one, right. but I did help with some of the preparation of the parts. Exactly. And it looks like it's going to be fun as well. It, you know, of course, when you're studying score, you study the background of some of these people. And Florence Price, she had success. In, she was from Arkansas, got to Illinois, had a piece performed by the Chicago Symphony. It was a big deal uh, at the time. It's a big deal now, but it, especially at, during her time in the earlier 20th century. But then kind of disappeared after that, after someone could get so much success. And and it had to do with the cultural uh, discord of the time. And uh, that is, can even be in, until this day. And that, But we can do our effort to show, you know, and, and the importance of who she was and what she brought to the table for, for music in general. And she'll, I think her in her writing represents what she went through. It's, it's all there. You can't get away from that in your, in the music. You are who you are in your writing in the music. So the concert opens with a short piece. It's about five minutes long uh, called Pivot by Anna Klein. And she's an English composer. And um, the work was inspired by, uh, her experience at the Edinburgh Festival. In fact, they were the first to play it there. And the idea of pivot is it has quotes from uh, traditional fiddle tunes and, and some other uh, quotes from other pieces that people may not know. But the idea of pivot is it pivots from these different tunes. And sometimes it's a fast jazzy type section. And all of a sudden it goes to a slower, more uh, traditional uh, harmonies and, and more folk sounding tunes. And it, it's back and forth. It goes, it's kind of like a fast, slow, fast, slow within five minutes and uh, does end fast. Uh, I will say that it does have in the string section, some solo players. There's a solo first violin, second violin, viola, cello, and bass. So uh, those people will be set up you'll, in the front right by me in, uh, in the orchestra. And then the section strings will be behind them. So I want our patrons to look for that when we open the concert. Now, don't be shocked because uh, Elizabeth and Susan are gonna be backstage getting ready to play the Mozart. So you won't see them when we start the concert. Our uh, assistant concert master and assistant uh, uh, principal viola will be taking charge for that, that piece. And but you will see them solo, and during these slower sections is where you, where you will prominently hear them. They're playing as a quintet that's five players with the orchestra, but then the orchestra cuts back a little bit in the slow sections, and you'll hear these players even more. Is this for full orchestra or for string orchestra? It, it does have winds. It's it is a full orchestra, full orchestra. piece. Yeah, full orchestra, and uh, it's a delightful piece. I think it's a wonderful opener. It's and it's something different. I like when we have something very well known, like the Beethoven gets as well known as as you can possibly get. But something that's just, you've never heard, but I think it's important to hear live in a, in a hall. And I do realize when there are newer pieces like that, on one hearing, you may not get, it's like when you watch a TV show or a movie the first time, you don't get everything maybe out of it. And you don't, um, you have the luxury at home to go back and rewind and listen. You may not get that live, but but you hear it once, and if you like it, you can always go find a recording of it or just, just listen and think, I, I remember this part, I want to hear it again. Mm -hmm. 
I still think it's there's nothing better than hearing it live. There's you know uh, to be in the hall with other people and uh, to in a way even when you're listening. Sometimes if I'm in the audience, I look and just see the reaction of people as things are happening. It's fun for me to see that when I'm in the audience. Now when I'm at University of North Texas teaching and I have conducting students conducting their concerts, that's a different story. <laughs> when you're when you're a teacher. You actually have more anxiety, I think, as a teacher, <laughs> yes. wanting your student to do well and succeed oh, yeah. than you are when you're, perf- I mean, of course you want to do well as a performer, but it's a different feel. It's very different, yes. <laughs> but that's that's what op- opens the concert. And then, of course, we, we reset the stage a little bit and our two esteemed soloists will come out and, and perform the Mozart. Uh, and then, of course, we end the program with one of the most famous works mm-hmm. of in the orchestral repertoire, which is the Beethoven Fifth Symphony. I won't even ask you how many times you, you played <laughs> that one. That's the, and, but what's difficult in that is when it's so well known, everybody knows it. So they, they have an idea of what it's like, but it's done in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when the musicians come together, they've done it this way and this person's done it that way. Part of the difficulty is finding how we're going to do it together and have some cohesiveness in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where we're fortunate to work under your leadership <laughs> and find out your wonderful ideas with the work and sure. bring that to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now that you've played it so many times, what what is special about this piece to you? The Beethoven Fifth, uh, everyone knows the first movement in particular. It has the famous four-note motive, um, and it is one of the most concise constructions in music. Um, he gets more it, out of four notes than it, most He gets composers. more out of four <laughs> He certainly does. But the, the rest of the pieces is also wonderful. So it's nice to uh, to continue with the rest of it because I think we've probably played the first movement a lot for demonstrations yes. and for children's concerts yes. and, and uh, events of that sort. And so it's nice to get the piece in its complete setting as well. Susan, anything about the symphony you enjoy or you... No, I think it's it is to see what he does with very small motive of small figures mm-hmm. and then how he develops that um through each movement and through the symphony. Um it is very motivic and it's mm-hmm. it's people know the first movement so they can sing it but it's not like there's these long huge melodic lines right. but it is singable but it's very motivic and mm-hmm. it, it in spurts here mm-hmm. and there. Mm-hmm. Um at the time it was revolutionary because he added instruments to, to this particular symphony that had not been there before. Mm. The trombones, mm. uh, the first use of trombones in a symphony. Of course, everything came from opera. The opera had used trombones already. But he put them on the concert stage with the orchestra. And they have to wait for three movements until the very opening of the last <laughs> movement. You have to deploy your forces at the right moment. You know, okay. string players are constantly playing. But it's. I think it is difficult to wait and Sit keep your and instrument play. warm and yes. be able to come in and not miss. Yeah. Uh, but in, in addition to the trombones, the use of the piccolo, the use of the contrabassoon, these, this would have been at the time revolutionary. In fact, I think audience members might have been looking, what is that? What, mm-hmm. you know, it could have been mm-hmm. to that, to that degree. Uh, he also started what we call attacka is going from one movement to the next without stopping. The third goes directly into the fourth, which is a big triumphant climax in and, in, in and of itself. Uh, that was revolutionary at the time. People and the people who went to enough concerts, you know, there wasn't 
TV and, and yeah. radio and all these things. They This is what they went to if they were going to go hear something. Now, they, they would make arrangements of these for piano if, mm -hmm. if someone had a piano at home. But it's not the same as hearing a live orchestra yeah. concert. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it would have been fascinating to me to be in the audience at the time to, to see the reaction. Mm -hmm. But um, I've heard from several of our mus musicians, they, it's been long enough since we've done Beethoven Fifth, and I think they really are excited to play mm -hmm. it. I think we're going to have so, a great time. So. Yeah. So I had a question for Clay about the Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. How many times have you conducted it? Oh, that that is a good question. I think I've conducted it seven or eight times, I think is what mm -hmm. I've done. And but that's in, incomplete. I've done certain movements in addition several times for several many times different, different concerts. What do you do since you are our fearless leader and help us shape our collective vision of this piece? Mm. So everyone on the stage has played this piece, yes. but somebody has to say, this time, let's try it this way. What do you do to keep the piece fresh for yourself? Or do you have a way you really like it and the challenge is to get us to to feel and come along with your vision? Or do you feel that your vision has developed over your performances? I, I do my best to go back at it from a fresh perspective. I really do. I mean, it's, it's easy to get in a rut to say this is the way we've always done things. Um, and as a cellist, I've played it many, many times. And as a conductor, conducted it this many times. And so, um, there's more than one way to cook. There's more than one way to do it. Um, for example, the opening mode, right? Uh, some conductors will go directly into the next bar, where there is just another eighth note rest. Some, and it depends, many factors. It could be if the hall's real live, if you need a little bit more time for the sound to complete before the next, so it doesn't run into the next motive. Sometimes there's what we call a, a, a cutoff, which really a cutoff in this piece is just one more bar. It's really so, ba, 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 cut off one. Ba, 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 ba. I've done it both ways. And uh, I like both. I'm not saying one is right, it's one is wrong. And I know the musicians are probably played it both ways. I think whatever you choose, you just have to be convincing that this really can work this way. Even to musicians who can say, I've always done it this way, I still prefer the other way, but I can see your point to what this way is. Um, so it's it can be a psychological thing too with the orchestra. And I think it's different, certainly when you're the music director, they're gonna do whatever you're, you're mm -hmm. gonna do. They may complain or they may not outside. That could be- complain? But, but when you go guest conduct somewhere, you have to sometimes find out what the orchestra is used to. You can make certain changes, but certain things it's not almost worth the yeah. time to do yeah. because you're going to waste time. You lose time on other things when you just say stand up for this other decision. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, I think it does. And, and I think uh, as musicians, one of the things that audience members may not realize is that professional orchestra musicians pride themselves on flexibility. Yes. So they may play this piece with their music director one week, and then the next week a guest conductor comes and does it for some reason or takes them on tour someplace. And, and we really 
try to make adjustments very quickly to align ourselves with whatever we're getting from the conductor and also from our colleagues from just what the feel of the piece is this time. And I think most of us appreciate when we can have that same excitement that we had the first time we played the piece and uh, where it doesn't feel that, oh, I've played this thing many, many, many times. I know how it goes. That's all true. But it should mean that interpretively we start farther down the road um, to finding something collectively. And uh, there's lots of nice discoveries made that way. I also think, and this will sound cliche, but I do think when you play the piece again, maybe it depends on how long it's been since you played it, but you you are reminded or you try to find something fresh or new in it. Mm -hmm. I think the great masterpieces, works of art, mm -hmm. you may think you know it, but there's always something in there deeper that you layers, always, the yeah. deeper layers of it that you yep. don't know that's yep. there, or you just hear something in a different way. You you've heard it before, of course. But some conductors will bring certain things out that the musicians may not have thought mm -hmm. of before. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or it, it does go both ways. I will say sometimes the musicians, they play it a certain way and, you, and the conductor will think, I, I wasn't thinking that. But that actually works. They may not say anything. They may just leave it and just, well, bring that out more or whatever. But it could be. <laughs> so the revelations go both ways. Yes, yes it does go both ways. Um, this is also a piece that is, you know, not just played often, but are, uh, for musicians, professional musicians, uh, is asked of in auditions quite a bit, for especially violas and cellos and basses. Um, the, the, the second movement, the opening of the second movement, the, the third movement, and in particular those two, uh, I think, one, because it's difficult, uh, to the, the key itself and how it lies on the instrument is not always easy. And, and the, the intervals, we're talking about fourths and fifths. Frankly, fourths and fifths, perfect intervals are, are more difficult. I think just the tune in, in general and just to play from pitch to pitch, fourths and fifths. Uh, that's just a reality, I think, mm -hmm. of, of what it is. You can get away with certain things on a whole step or a third or things, but those are, if, those are more noticeable, yeah. I think, than, than others. But even the rhythm, the rhythm itself, um, sometimes can be lax, can sound what we would call thirty-second notes versus triplets. Um, but even when we have players play the same rhythm, they might feel uh, the, the faster thirty-second note a little different. But there's where we have to come in, and you you can't say I'm the only one that's right, and all these people are wrong. It's mm -hmm. a matter of playing it together as a section. We're talking about section players, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, even a, uh, the, the principal wind player, they can get away with a little more because they're by themselves and can, can flow a certain way that maybe a section can't. Uh, but there's certain things, section players, a certain quality of sound can do that a one solo player is not going to, to get away with. How do you feel about that with rhythm within your section? Do you feel... Um, well, I think the opening that you're speaking of, the slow movement, I think it's, like you said, it's such a standard um, excerpt. I think we all are going to be aware and we're going to try and tune into one another and and have that same inner rhythmic feeling, uh, the same subdivisions that you're talking about. 
Um, it can really go both ways, though, because if you if that's what we start to press and that's all we talk about, it becomes, to me, a little bit emotionless. It just mm -hmm. becomes about the rhythm, and mm -hmm. we just make it work. I've I've played in some concerts where everything was together, sounded beautiful, but didn't get much out of it because it was emotionally a little stale. Yeah. So it, it's a fine line. You can't lose <laughs> that sense of it too. Going through a faster thirty-second note but still mm -hmm. having some meaning to it is mm -hmm. is. Uh, I think um, <clears throat> Richardson Symphony has some wonderful musicians, and they'll be able to play. Oh no doubt. Very, I wasn't meaning yeah. anything by. Very musically and expressively with a wonderful inner sense of rhythm. Yes. That's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. I, I like that answer. That, now I'm encouraged. Good. Now I have to convince you guys of the way we're going to do it. Well, I enjoyed talking to you, and I, I look forward to uh, playing the Mozart, but of course, having you play the, the rest of the concert after the Mozart. To we're going to have a great time. Oh, absolutely. Indeed. Indeed. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, Humanities of Texas, The Ray Charitable Trust, and Frost Bank. I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center Ticket Office and on their website at eismancenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Catorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.